Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull are on the lines with me, as they are every week. We've really enjoyed making this podcast. You've heard good feedback. If you do like what you hear today or you've liked what you've heard in the past, be sure to subscribe. Be sure to rate us. Uh, tell your friends. You know, you never know. Someone might might enjoy this. Uh, I, I know I have some people who aren't really, you know, they're not going to read all of our stuff. Although you can at michigan.247sports.com. But they like having, you know, just a little hour-long podcast kind of recapping the week and the key storylines. So hopefully, hopefully you've enjoyed it and hopefully you continue to enjoy it. You've got a fun show today talking Michigan offense because they, they finally, it finally came back to bite them. Uh, we're also going to talk some Michigan basketball. We've got a couple user questions about it, so we'll we'll focus on that. And then we'll preview Michigan's redemption. Well, not redemption against Indiana, but redemption at large against Indiana as they try to bounce back from a loss that not very many people expected them to have. But anyway, we can get hopping right into the most pressing topic of the week. Uh, our message board has been on fire at times discussing this. Michigan's offense, only 10 points against Michigan State. Uh, has struggled really all season, and it, it did not seem it does not seem to be going in the right direction. I think is that that's what people I would say are most worried about. And we got a question from Vias Azul who asked a few questions. He'll he'll be he'll be in here a little bit on this show, but he says, "What has been the greater change or disruption to the offense to this year from last year? A, the loss of Jed Fish, or B, the shift to an inside inside zone." Running game, presumably brought forth by Greg Fry. I'll I, I'll let you guys say your piece, but uh, I'm almost thinking that there's a C or D or E option. Um, Steve, what do you think? I think I think the more you watch Saturday, especially, but even going back to Purdue or whoever. I I think the biggest I think the the crux of Michigan's situation offensively is really right tackle. Uh, I know that's an easy yeah one easy spot to point to, but I think it's really been the primary reason for their struggles across the board. I think you have two quarterbacks in Spate and O'Corn who are af- like afraid to to settle in in the pocket and get comfortable. Uh, I think with Spate, you know, being more of a stand-in-the-pocket guy, you know, it was a situation where I think he was rushing things too much because he's constantly looking over his shoulder uh, at right tackle. And with O'Corn, we've seen in the, with him in the past is he has a case of having happy feet in the pocket, uh, exiting maybe too quickly. I think it comes down to the same thing. I just the protection on the right side hasn't been good enough, and I think it's, it's uh, crossing the wires – with whoever's playing quarterback and, and forcing a lot of mistakes. So to me, that's the biggest uh, disruption to the offense. I don't really think it's even close. I think, I guess if there was a second to me, uh, I don't know, I guess the quarterback play hasn't been good either way outside of what one half from yeah. corn against Purdue. Um, I just don't, I think Michigan's receivers have been completely underwhelming uh, outside of Grant Perry. Well, and, and this will be my point. So, so, but my point was I was going to say the receivers because the thing about Grant Perry, he's been their best and most reliable receiver. He missed months of train. I mean, you know, he's obviously still working and still trying to make something out of his career. But like, he wasn't even on the team for for much of this off season. I think that just speaks to how this group might take longer than people expected, or it's just something isn't working. To which a guy who was suspended, not even sure if he was going to, I mean, you know, I think he had an idea that he was going to play, but not totally sure what was going to happen. And he's their, their best guy. Hey, go ahead, Steve. I, I, I didn't mean even, to cut you I off. But... Been, I even, no, you're fine. I, I don't even think it's been close. No, I think he's <laughs> not week to week. Yeah. Best receiver. Uh, and if you want to illustrate this point even further that they've been disappointing, they moved Drake Harris back to wide receiver. If that's not another tangible now, granted, Michigan's defensive backs have played awesome so far. Well, and they were down. Been, it sounds like they're down two receivers. I'm not sure what Sheenley's deal is, but Tariq Black's true. out. So you do need like right. another body. But yeah, Agreed. I think it's yeah. But you know, I, I are they trying too hard to hold on to the red shirts with with Oliver Martin and, and Nico Collins? You know, that might be the case. 
like I said, you got three corners to a – well, I don't want to take anything away from Brandon Watson. He's been really good when pressed into action too, but David Long has really stepped up, and then Levert Hill looks like he's going to be the next – Yeah, he looks like he could be an All-American <laughs> at some point in his career, the way he's been playing the last few weeks. So, um, yeah, I think the receivers – I, tr- I tried to limit my expectations to them because I knew they would be young, and I didn't think that Kakoa Crawford had done enough last season or shown in enough flashes last season to just assume that he was going to take a big leap forward. I think that's come to fruition so far as well. I think he's, you know, <laughs> he's been somewhat unlucky. I know he's had two touchdown catches called back by penalties this year. Right. Um, but at the same time, both were completely broken plays too, though not necessarily. Yeah, was it him uh, earning the catch? Well, right, great I mean, route. Yeah. No, I don't even yeah. great. He didn't. He did not like he ran a great, you know, a great deep route or a great uh, fly route or something to get open. I mean, it was they were broken plays. So, um, I tried to limit my expectations there. Uh, it's it's you know you're in dire straits when you're missing when you're you're down because you're missing a true freshman who might probably is the best receiver on your team. Mm-hmm. Um, again. Not, you know, Tariq Black, very good young player. There's no doubt about it. But most rosters don't necessarily need to rely on a true freshman uh, that heavily as, as much as it looks like Michigan may have would have been leaning on him at this point. Uh, so that's me. Uh, like I said, quarterback plays obviously been poor. There's no way around it. Um, but, you know, right tackle, I think, is just the it's the first domino that is set off a lot of the other effects of everything for them offensively. Isaiah, sorry, we didn't, <laughs> we should have started with you, let you get your piece I mean, in. What stands out to you? forgot about me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, it, it's pre- you know pretty much everything you guys have said. I mean, obviously, we've been pointing all, you know, all off-season and season-long about the inexperience. We did, obviously, collectively think that Wilton Spate was going to make up for a lot of that, but there's very little you can do when you don't have the time to throw the football. And we've obviously seen that in spades over the course of the season. And, you know, these receivers need to be able to get off the line. That's the other thing. Uh, they just don't seem to be comfortable. They're getting, you know, they're getting pressed. The Even the tight ends are getting chipped and everything like that. Uh, obviously, the tight ends have looked better than the receivers thus far this year, with the exception of Grant Perry, Sean McCune being right behind him there. But, you know, I, I mentioned this on the board, and some people didn't like like it, but it still stands true. Just because the defense is young, equally as young, essentially, and is able to thrive doesn't give you know no it's different career arts be, yeah especially because you know the offense an offense is always going to take longer to develop than a defense and a lot of that has to do with timing a lot of that has to do with the intricacy of an offense you can take things away a lot easier than you can complete them and in the case of Michigan this year it, it's really hard to run timing based you know schemes when you don't have any protection, your guys aren't where they're supposed to be at the, at the right time, and when they are, you're you're running for your life. So yeah, there, there's really no other way to put it. In as much as people seem to still feel like the offense was underwhelming last year, based off of like literally what three games total, maybe four. It you know they were able to put up you know forty, fifty, sixty, and one case seventy something points. <laughs> because they had those more senior players on the team that were able to you know they might not have been great like we you know we hear up and heard up and down about how Kyle Kalis was a disappointment especially considering what he was supposed to be but they still did their job effectively enough to be able to a- allow a couple senior wide receivers to be able to go and do theirs so yeah. that's it's it's all just kind of not working in sync. I, you know, I've heard that it's looking better in practice. So I'm just wondering when does that, when does that Michigan show up? It, it feels like it's just all these little things kind of working to not, you know, work against them. And very soon it's that you'll, you'll see that complete game. I just am curious. When do we finally see that? I mean, honestly, a little bit, or if, I mean, cause, cause you're right. You watch the film and it's like, Oh, you know, this play 
if like one thing goes differently, it's a twenty yard gain, or if you know it's they're really pushing that game of inches narrative because of it. Yeah, back to the receivers. This is this is to me. I obviously I think right tackle is probably the biggest problem, but I think I just don't think anyone realized how well maybe Michigan did, but I don't think like the common opinion realized how valuable Jay Uchesson and Amara Darbo are. I mean, I do these, you know, how Michigan's doing in the NFL. It's like Darbo is Seattle's like number three wide receiver right now. I may, you know, maybe he's not getting all the stats, but like as far as targets and snaps, it's like he's like already an impact guy on a team that could be in the playoffs. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence <laughs> that they're doing so well. I think they did things, even if it didn't always show up in like Oklahoma, like numbers, you know, they could do things like create space in a route that maybe was well covered, or they could create space in a very, you know, in a route that, you know, guys can't create right now. Like they, they could rely on technique and a little bit of playmaking savvy to do things that some guys haven't learned. Uh, back to the offensive line, you know, because we mentioned the right tackle. Uh, this is another bias question. He says, with poor performances by Nolan Ulysio and Juwan Bushel-Beattie, who came in for Ulysio and immediately blew a block uh, at right tackle, is there a reason that the coaches haven't tried moving Bredesen to right tackle? Seems like we have more options with the three interior spots, you know, Kugler, Unwinu, Runyon, Ruiz, uh, and Bredesen was rated as the number five tackle in the 24-7 composite. Uh, do you think they've tried it and it didn't work, or is there something about this offense where it's better to have one stronger side of the line? Isaiah, I'll let you go first for this one. Uh, I've actually been kind of wondering the same thing myself. I know right side, left side, there is a little something to it, but it seems like seems like with the way the right tackle position has been, you might as well be exhausting everything, even if Bredesen said the other day that they haven't tried too much. Yeah, you, you know, I, I honestly, I've been surprised that they haven't been moving him around. Uh, I, I mean, he moves around in practice, and he's done so every, you know, every week. And you see every now and again, if you go back and watch the film, every now and again, he'll be somewhere on the line that you didn't expect him to be. Uh, depending on the the formation, but it's so rare. I'm honestly surprised that they haven't tried to move him out to right and put you know Runyon in at left guard. But that doesn't still doesn't seem to be the case, as far as I know. Like uh, as far as I know, it looks like it's going to be Juwan Bushel Beatty this week, unless anything's changed from earlier in the week. Uh, I think Mohurst kind of let that spill a little bit on Instagram as well. But uh, it they they seem to want to try to keep the configuration that they have as close to what they have going forward. Uh, I I agree with you. I I I would definitely try you know try something else. They did it last year uh, coming out of the bye when they you know brought in Bredesen as a starter and shifted Braden over to left tackle. But they don't seem to want to have a proclivity to to do that this year for whatever reason. I don't really understand why, but. They seem to be confident that they've got a guy somewhere that can make it work. And as of right now, it looks like it'll probably be Juwan Bushel Beatty. Okay. Steve, you got anything to anything to add? Yeah, I think Michigan could easily lose on Saturday if Juwan Bushel Beatty plays anything like he did against Michigan State. That is um, fair, yeah. He I, I wanna say this too. I actually thought for the most part on Saturday, I thought Michigan got away with quite a bit uh, officiating-wise. I actually thought, like, normally I feel like when Michigan plays Michigan State, for whatever reason, Michigan State always catches a few breaks. I think Michigan State's breaks in this game were more with the ball happening to keep bouncing back to whatever that guy. punt fumble, yeah. Was, yeah, the, well, the punt fumble. Easy touchdown in all circumstances, yeah. Yep, Lewerke's fumble, the... Michigan's fumbles bounced right to Michigan State guys, so they, they, uh, the ball bounced their way a little bit in that regard. But man, I mean, Bushel Beatty was was holding on almost every play at one point. I mean, any play that you could see on the right side, uh, and that's after you know that's within just that's in one half of play against a former walk on. Uh, I. I'm kind of at a loss as far as that goes. If they think that one of those two guys is the best guy at right tackle, uh, I don't know if it puts them in a tougher spot when Harbaugh says that Bredesen was their top-graded offensive lineman against Michigan State, so maybe they're hesitant to you know, move him out of that spot. Maybe. Uh, uh, yeah, but Ruiz, 
Filiaga, uh, Stuber are guys that we heard some really good things about in fall camp. I mean, Ruiz is a guy I was told for a while would be a four-year starter eventually at Michigan. So um, I'm a little at a loss as far as trying to figure out why they don't at least give one of these younger guys a, a shot. I don't know what they have to lose unless they're really that, you know, that serious about trying to redshirt as many of these guys as they can, but at what cost at one, at some point, you know, I would, so. I would think all the, I mean, I know the offensive line, they do like to redshirt when they can, but it's like, you know, Philly Agas is and Ruiz are like going to be all big 10, possibly even more players. Play them now. They They're going to go. <laughs> right. Right. They yeah, very well could be. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, because like I said, you just, you don't even, you, you could be an armchair quarterback and watch a replay of that game on Saturday and see that. Yeah. Whoever was playing right tackle was being completely overwhelmed. And this is in sometimes this is when, and sometimes the state was rushing three people. In a, in a few, in a yeah, it was one guy like these, four inches shorter, and they still got five. Yeah, and they're not just getting beat. I mean, they were getting beat badly. And I mean, that's uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's just uh, very puzzling to me because think about it. Think about what when it was you know heading into the Purdue game, they had one sack as a team the entire season, and they had like four or five sacks yep. in that game. Uh, this isn't a situation that Michigan where Michigan State exposed Michigan by any means. Michigan was already exposed and was already playing. Uh, below average to poor football at that spot either way. So well, I don't yeah, know. And it's like, you know, I know I, yeah, we yeah. can pour over, we can pour over it and, and watch stuff and talk about it. And, you know, we do this every day, but you know, we, there's times that we're, we're just like, we are kind of in some aspects in agreement with, uh, you know, that average fan, I guess, as far as like, I don't know why they don't try something a little bit different at least try right i mean it it doesn't work out it doesn't work out i <laughs> yeah, get the red shirt, i get the red shirt i get the red shirt aspect of it but man i mean you really want to risk indiana's defense is no slouch no they blitz all. they blitz heavy right he great skills an all-american we'll get to that yeah right you know what i mean so yeah they can punk like you yeah this isn't a re this isn't purdue again this isn't uh whoever you know so they're Running the risk of, I mean, as I've seen right here, Steve Wilfong just tweeted out, Michigan and Indiana are number one and two in the country in forcing three and outs. Wow. Okay. That's what I mean. You see that. You see how Michigan played last week. They're going on the road. They're going to a place where they've struggled to win the last, what, two or three times that they've been in Bloomington, they've struggled to win. Yep. Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Huh? Hey, another question <laughs> about this offense, and I'm, I'm kind of – translating it to be more about this offense, but Lions Knob says, what do you all take away from Josh Jackson, Washtenaw County native, formerly of a Huron River rat, starting at Virginia Tech versus the offensive situation at Michigan? Does VT have a simpler offense? So I think he's trying to ask, like, if Michigan is having youth problems on its offense, why do some freshmen at other schools? And I don't think Jackson was like a five-star guy. I think he was, you know, it was, it was a, obviously much liked recruit, but why are some freshmen elsewhere thriving? Um, I guess I can give, I can give my two cents, not necessarily about this question, but overall, I think one thing people don't, and maybe it's not as big of a deal as I think it is, but like if you asked Oklahoma to suddenly be an elite, like shut down defense every year and you like recruit it, tried to recruit that way, like how long would it take before they're, actually a top you know 20 defense because personally i think it would take like five years and i think michigan's in a similar boat i mean michigan's offense looked good with denard but even then it wasn't amazing and then that's i don't know i so so for me i think a lot of it is like it's gonna you need you need to establish a little bit of a culture and you need guys to see how see more you know you need another you know ju chess and amara darbo if they're around this year then you know guys like Donovan could learn right away and they could translate. So I don't know. Sticking more to the Josh Jackson question, uh, we can we'll start with Steve this time. I guess what do you think about the freshman nationwide? Like what's what's going on with Michigan's offense that's making it hard for people to acclimate to? 
I mean, I, I don't know the. I don't know if I have the actual, the answer that would be proven to be correct. Right. But I got to say that Mark D'Antonio's comment about forty formations in the first half and three points, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty damning as on the coaches too. So my my thing is this: we talked earlier about what the biggest disruption's been offensively. My answer to that was encompassing the entire season as a whole. Now, to me, Michigan State was a failure across the board. Uh, and that 40 formations comment to me is part of why I think the coaches failed on Saturday against Michigan State. Uh, you're already struggling offensively to throw 40 different formations out there. You wonder sometimes if these guys, if some of these guys are losing track you know, of what to do or, or, you know, just it's, uh, I don't know the right phrase I'm thinking of, I'm going to lose it, but, uh, just an overwhelming amount, information overload type yep. situation at yep. some of these positions for some of these guys. And so, you know, I posted that, I think in the immediate reactions was that, you know, outside of Ohio state and probably Penn state going forward, Michigan is probably going to be much more talented even though they're young, they're going to be a lot more talented than most of the teams they face going forward. Keep it simple. Uh, whether they, ha- I don't, you know, again, that's it's the X's knows the minutiae. Worked against I'm, Purdue, I, right? Through John O'Corn in there, and like first thing he does could just complete to the open guy. You know, it's Sheen right. lead Poji first receptions right. of the year. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I don't. I'm, I mean, I don't know if Virginia Tech has a simpler offense. My gut instinct tells me that they didn't run 44 they haven't run 40 formations in one game <laughs> all year so in that regard i guess they'd probably do but um i, I don't know you know i mean not yeah. every, there's it's yeah it's such a complicated well and it's just like answer and people are like well, how know? come rashawn doesn't have as many sacks as that oliver like sometimes just things are different and right you know it's just a different situation no, I'm with you. Yeah. I just, uh, I, I don't know. I think uh, it, it may be a complicated offense, but Michigan just still doesn't have the pieces, obviously, too, right? Alabama could have run 40 different formations on Saturday against Michigan State, and they would have had a lot more success because they have a brick wall of an offensive line and have four running backs who are like 220-plus, you know, who are five-star yeah. recruits. You know, they're that – uh, yeah, isn't Najee I mean, Harris like the third string there? Yeah, I mean they, they're uh, Hank from our Alabama affiliate did a gallery of like how many how Alabama's five stars have fared under Nick Saban. He's had forty three five stars on his roster <laughs> since he took the job. I mean, you know, so Michigan doesn't have that talent to overcome maybe some of the mix ups or the, you know, the, the miscommunications offensively, I guess. So, yeah, their offense seems like it's, it looks too complicated. I thought D'Antonio's comment was, I don't know if it was a shot, but it was more of a, I think maybe, uh, but it was a shot that hit the target, I guess, because it just makes a lot of sense for, you run 40 formations, you only score three points. I think that's a good indication that they're they're trying too hard they're, or they're doing too much or they're, thinking too much offensively yeah Isaiah you and I were in Purdue I mean when John O'Corn was like just playing and like it's scorching hot they 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 almost like threw the at least for a couple drives they like threw the playbook in the can and we're just like you know what you know scramble out if you need to run around find someone open we need points right now I I seem to work I mean I would love to I mean I you know I, I don't think we've seen enough of O'Corn to say this would for sure be the the move against Indiana but you would think like just you know draw the play in the sand call your you know find your find your opening to the receivers and then O'Corn you know pocket no pocket sequence no sequence just snap the ball and and find your man I don't know what are, what are your thoughts on this Isaiah uh Several. Uh, I mean, first of all, against Michigan State, it was like they didn't really trust John O'Corn to throw over the middle, which is kind of a problem when you consider that the probably the biggest liability in all of Michigan State's team was deep in the middle. Uh, they had some safety issues all season, and that's exactly where you want to throw to. And they finally started doing it late in the game, and obviously you saw what happened. But 
that wasn't the time to be finally testing out, you know, what you could do in the middle of the field. Uh, but against Purdue, it seemed like that they had no problem going down the seam to tight ends or at anyone there. It, it make, makes you wonder, like, what, you know, like, are they just they're, They seem to be a little bit too conservative or they tended to go away from what worked for the first time in a while. I mean, obviously, they did that last year against Iowa going away from Chris Evans when he was averaging six, seven yards a carry and did that same thing against Michigan State going away from Karan Higdon, who was doing the same thing. But to the argument that we were having here about Virginia Tech, look, you know, looking at uh, looking at their depth chart. They, you know, they've got one of the reasons why I think that they've been able to succeed with the with the redshirt freshman quarterback is that you've you look going from left to right, you have got junior, redshirt senior, senior, redshirt junior, redshirt senior. Uh, comparably, you go to a team like uh, Georgia, who's obviously got a true freshman that's doing well. They're not; they're a little bit younger. That the right side of their line is actually just as young as Michigan's with a redshirt freshman and a true freshman. Uh, starting on their line, but they have a guy that can, you know, take the top off of a defense or actually take the front off the defense. Been uh, Nick Chubb as being their running back. Michigan doesn't have those luxuries right now, and that's no, they do not. Yeah. I think a big, big part of the problem. You know, they obviously sold out to try to get Najee Harris, third string at Alabama, but would have likely been first string right out the gates at Michigan. They need. They need someone that's dynamic and can do that. Is it, I, I still wonder, like you say, like Steve just said about you know information overload. Last year, Chris, you know, Chris Evans said coming into fall camp that last year they basically said, "Here's one one look, you take that look and you go." And he had a lot of success with that. And this year, he has the whole playbook at his disposal, and he's not he's not succeeding the way that he was last year as of yet. And they also seem to be inclined to take these mostly cutback uh, style runners that they have and trying to force them to be more of a frontline style back. And I don't really understand that either. I'm not really sure if that's just a failure to adapt to the personnel or like just kind of a, um, I don't know, just a negligence to it. But uh they definitely, they definitely have some pieces that could do some things in space. I mean, Steve, how many times have you said, get the ball in Chris Evans' hands, get him a screen, uh, you know, run, run him into the flat and pass him the ball, but they just seem to not want to do that. Look what they did. So they, Look what happened when they did it on Saturday. 14 yards, he juked the heck out of a defender on the edge. I mean, get their linebackers to think. You know, that's why Michigan State's beaten Michigan eight of the last 10 years is because Michigan for some reason, seems to run these offensive schemes that don't force the Michigan State linebackers to think. They just have to attack, 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 and it just it it kills them every year. And they did the same thing on Saturday. So, and to that to that end, like I you know I thought we were going to see a lot more for that for that same exact reason. I thought we'd at least see a lot more Eddie McDoom type jet sweeps, even if they didn't go to it, just to get the linebackers to move with them. And they just didn't. It's it. Michigan State's uh, struggles were at defensive end, and their strength is their linebackers. So why not attack both of those things at once? And they just chose not to. So it means a lot of things in tandem. It's the inexperience. It's not having that dynamic playmaker on offense. Sure, I think some of them will get there. I think that you know Donovan Peoples-Jones eventually will be a receiver like that. But without having a, a guy that can – can truly be a now someone who can run between the tackles or until they start running their running backs off tackle like you would imagine that they should then i i don't really have any answers there yeah hey one one question this doesn't have to be long answers cuz we have uh discussed this at ad nauseum probably we're closing in on 30 minutes here but i tried it on on the radio show today and what do you need, assuming Michigan wins, because that's obviously as far as, you know, if they want the rest of the season to matter, they need to win on Saturday. But assuming that they win, what do you need to see from from Michigan's offense to be convinced that they that this isn't going to be, you know, a 7-8 win or 9 win team, but that they, that they can actually, like, 
do the bounce back that they're talking about and that their season isn't over. I mean, what what sort of thing do you need to see? I know me personally, I I think I need to see just like them change their approach. I just need them to like I I if, if for them to be good, they need to show that they can make a successful tangible change from one week to the next and in my eyes that's mainly just playing some free football in the sense of you know you're not held back by technique or by you know the process or the the reads and you know the plays and the formations and the movements you're just playing football uh, Isaiah we'll start with you and then we can go to Steve doesn't have to be too much explanation but but what what do you need to see to be reconvinced that Michigan's offense can come together? Not not much different than that. I'd like to see see them get the ball out more quickly. Their deficiency is that they can't, don't have the luxury of dropping back and and letting slow developing routes take place. So getting the ball out quickly to you know to guys that you know if. Throw some slants. Use this West Coast offense the way a West Coast offense is supposed to work, and get get the you know move down you know down the field four or five yards at a time quickly instead of trying to wait for things to happen. And if they can find a way to do that and protect enough up front to allow them to do that, then you know they've got a good shot. Steve, what do you think? Just competency. I mean, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah. Michigan loses to Michigan State by four points, and they were negative five in the turnover margin. I mean, it's that's how good of a defense they have to work with. Their offense, you know, I've said this a, quite a few times now, their offense does not have to be great by any means. Just competent. Just sustain a few drives. Keep field position on Michigan's side. Don't turn the ball over. I mean, those things this team could still win a lot of games if that if they can just do that. So uh, just competency, especially up front. Uh, you know, if, if, if they can even just play – like, here's the thing. This Saturday, again, Indiana, a good team. We, like I said, Michigan has struggled in Bloomington the last few times. If Michigan's offense can just play average, they should win that game. You know, and that's, that's crazy. That they can't, that they just can't seem to, or they haven't really shown that they can do that yet. That's why, you know, I don't, I don't. We'll, we're going to see what happens on Saturday. I'm not certain what's going to happen. So, I just competency, uh, uh, cohesion. You know, everybody being on the same page. Uh, and that includes the coaching staff. So, um, to me, you know, like I said, you can break this stuff down for hours. You get the X's and O's. To me, it's just, it's simple. It's just competency. Just sustain some drives, run the football, don't turn the ball over, and just you don't have to dominate field position, but with with the defense they have, just you know, give the defense a decent field to work with and go from there. All right, there we go. Hey listeners, you sick of talking about Michigan's offense yet? Yeah, we we can switch over. We'll do we got a couple basketball questions. And basketball, it is now twenty nine days away, right? Some something of that nature. Very, it's closer than you think. November 11th is the regular season tip-off. November 3rd is the uh, the exhibition, and we'll have tons of basketball stuff at Michigan.247Sports.com. But for now, got a couple questions. First one, a little more basketball heavy than the second one, uh, from Dizzo, who said, with Jerron Simmons, Muhammad Ali, Abdul Rahman, and Charles Matthews being more slashers than spot-up shooters. Will the Michigan offense look different this year? Or will those players end up taking more threes than they have previous seasons? And for context, Dizzo provides that Simmons had 299 two-point attempts compared to 107 from three. Uh, so that's a, what, 25% three-point rate. And Muhammad was at about 50-50. I think Michigan, more broadly, I think Michigan's offense is going to look very different this season. You know, I think... I think Jerron Simmons can do things that Derek Walton couldn't do. And I think Derek Walton had the three-point shot that Jerron Simmons doesn't have. You know, and I'm not sure. I, I don't know much about Xavier Simpson's three-point shot, but he's very generously listed at 5'11", so he's he's going to have a tough time getting open. So, yes, to, to answer the question, I think it's going to be 
Uh, I think it's going to be still be pretty pick and roll heavy, but maybe a little less three point shooting because you know don't Charles Matthews was a five star recruit at one time. I mean, he was a top fifteen guy. He kind of plateaued his senior year, but like if he gained twenty two pounds of muscle. And he's been practicing, you know, with his athleticism. I've only seen it in, you know, various warm-ups and open practices and stuff. But he looks, he he was very clearly the most athletic player on the team last season. Don't, don't coach away from that. I mean, maybe, you know, if, if they can, if they can make 35% from three, yeah, they should be shooting more than they, than they probably have in the past. And Beeline will encourage that. But if you're going to hit it at a 30% clip, you know, you're... Most of the time, you're better off just going in to the rim, trying to figure some stuff out there. And with Mo Wagner and Duncan Robinson, and we'll see what happens with Isaiah Livers, Jordan Poole. I mean, they're all, you know, especially the first two. I mean, they're three-point, you know, guys. I mean, they, they'll, they'll hit 40% from three. So there's no reason to have everyone hang out around the perimeter. You can have guys go in. You can have Mo stretch the floor out. You can have guys work in the high ball screen. You can move a lot of parts around in the slashing. I would I mean, we'll see what Beeline can do with it, but I'd argue it helps the offense. I think it helps them, you know, it helps guys, you know, <laughs> helps confuse the defense, uh, to put it simply. And so I, I think Muhammad's a better three-point shooter than people realize. He was, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he was hovering around 40% much of last season. Uh, and that's that's a new thing for him. So we'll see how it goes year one to year two. But, you know, between him, Duncan, Mo, you know, and, and then the reserve guys too. A.B. Watson, Jordan Poole, uh, I don't know, Isaiah Livers. Um, you know, Nobody's you've got, ever talking about E.B. What? Nobody's ever talking about E.B. No, I just did, but yeah. <laughs> Is that a thing? Did I miss a reference? No, no, oh. I'm just saying, like, he always seems to get lost in the shuffle when we talk about... Uh, he does. Well, I mean, he didn't really know. play last... Right. He didn't, he didn't right. show us enough to, to warrant too much discussion. Agreed. But, yeah, he's going to... I mean, if he's up to the task, he's going to have some minutes waiting for him. Because, you know, Jordan Poole probably don't want him at the three, probably don't want Duncan at the three too much. And Charles Matthews, all signs point to him being, you know, the starter and the key guy, but... If Ibby, you know, he, he gained, what, 10, 15 pounds of muscle. His vertical leap is higher than anyone at the NBA Combine ever except for one person. You know, if, and, and I saw him a little bit in person. He was working at a camp, and he looks like a, more of a basketball player. You know, he looks a little less lanky, and he wouldn't be the first uh, wing from Pickerington, Ohio, to bulk up and find success at Michigan, so... We'll see what happens. I, I do expect, to, to answer Dizzo's question more pointedly, I think you're going to see more slashing, but I think all three guys, I think the expectation is that they're also going to have a three-point shot. I don't think I don't think you're going to see any of them have you know a three-point rate of 20%. Three-point rate meaning percentage of shots from three, not how much you hit. Uh, so a little bit of both, probably more the former, though, that I think this offense is going to look different. But not necessarily a bad thing. We saw last season, they had never had two big men like that. And they found a way to make it work really well, especially by the time March came around. Another basketball question, this one comes from Via Azul. says, John Beeline has a reputation among his peers as being squeaky clean in recruiting. Does the FBI crackdown on college basketball ultimately mean that Michigan has a greater shot at the top 10, top 25 recruits? Or does it really change nothing because schools, boosters, coaches will find new ways to deal with money? Uh, not complaining about Michigan recruiting at all. Just wondering if there's any trickle-down effect. I think there will be a trickle-down effect, but I think it's going to not... I don't think it's going to be in the five stars. Because when you look at it, Kentucky, even if they don't... I don't I don't think Calipari pays anybody anymore. I don't know if he ever did, actually, at, at Kentucky. Because he's got a system now... I mean, this is my argument for why Mo Bamba wouldn't come to Michigan because Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, DeMarcus Cousins, and all of their $100 million contracts can say, hey, man, why wouldn't you go to Kentucky? You can be the number one pick. You can do this. You can do that. You know it's going to happen because there's this sample size. I think you can say the same thing about Duke. Uh, We'll see what happens with Kansas. They might be in some trouble. 
Louisville wasn't actually recruiting at a blue blood level. I mean, they were kind of known as like, oh, we're going to get, you know, two or three or four year guys and develop them. Um, UCLA, though, same thing. I mean, there's, I don't, the top 10, 15 guys, they're going to go probably to the same schools unless the crackdown includes tournament bans, uh, which I have not, not heard yet other than Louisville. Um, I will say, though, I think there will be a trickle down overall, though. You know, I think you're going to see a lot, you know, with, with schools like, um, well, we'll see about Arizona, but like, you know, Miami, Alabama. It's like these schools that were getting top 50 recruits that were not historically better or more, you know, more of a blue blood program than Michigan. I think Michigan might pick up a couple of those guys more. And now, now that, you know, the FBI has gotten in, I think there'll be a trickle effect in the um, aroma aroma of fear. I don't know if that sent, word combo makes any sense, but like recruits that in the past, maybe they saw some money or they heard about it and they're like, oh, I'll go here. Now they might think, I don't want to be ruled ineligible. I don't want to be in trouble. You know, Michigan doesn't look so bad after, you know. And I, I don't think, I, I'm not totally sure how widespread this all is. Like, I know Michigan fans think, like, every time they don't get a recruit, it's because someone paid. I don't think it's that level. Uh, but I could see I could see a few more top 60 recruits. Like, guys in that 30 to 60 range. Michigan's had a lot of success with those players. A few of them are in the NBA. I think you're going to start to see more of them. Also, I just think Michigan basketball recruiting is going to generally get better. We've seen it the last two classes, especially in-state. Because now you've got guys, I mean, Ignis... Brisdikis, you know, he was talking about how he would like watch Michigan growing up. It's like, well, he didn't grow up in when Michigan was not making the tournament until 2009. In 2009, he was what, 10 years old, nine years old. So he, you know, now you're seeing guys who during their um, transformative years, Michigan has been good and Michigan has been a fun team to watch. I mean, you know, now we're looking at 2019. Those guys were like 12 or 11 or maybe even younger in 2012 when they went to, or 2013 when they went to the championship game. So I think it's just going to get better in general. Uh, it certainly looks good for Beeline, especially to parents. I don't know, Steve. I, I don't see a five-star trickle down, but I could see more four stars giving Michigan a second look because they, they know and they trust that the coach isn't going anywhere. The program's not going to be in trouble and you're you're never going to be associated with illegal behavior. Yeah, I, I agree. It's just really it come basically all you with everything you said comes down to one thing to me is is the FBI going to find or bust some Nike schools because that's really uh, what it comes because Adidas, you know, with the stuff coming out with Kansas now, Arizona has been mixed. I think one of their assistants either stepped down or whatever. Uh, Miami's heavy into the Adidas stuff on in football and basketball. Uh, who was the other one that you mentioned uh, with Miami along with Miami, uh, Alabama, oh, Alabama is a Nike school. So, you know, it just depends on uh, how far on the Nike side. I do agree on Calipari though, for the most part, um, for the most part, I do think I'd be surprised if the ways have really totally changed as far as uh, the financial aspect goes. I mean, we can talk about it a little bit more openly with this FBI stuff. Um, I'd be surprised if it's changed openly, but you're right as far as it's almost a situation where you make a heavy initial investment and then the returns kind of trickle down as time goes on after you, yeah, after you produce. The flip side is though, I mean, Anthony Davis could have gone to, Prairie View A and M, and still probably been a top five, top ten pick. I don't know how much John Calipari had to do with that, but he's a good salesman. He can pitch it. He can pitch Anthony Davis. Well, but you know, he offer also can offer like, hey, look at all your teammates. They're going to be really good too. You're going to get to know some guys. You're going to get to play at high level. You get twenty two thousand people at their arena, and and also you know, there where I think Calipari might be unethical might be in how they approach school and the classes and, and everything like that. Cause it's right, just such right. a, such a blatant one and done like beeline's right. going to make sure you don't go to the NBA draft until you take your exams, you know? Like, right. <laughs> right. No, I agree. And, uh, um, 
with Calipari, you know, Kentucky basketball is still one of the easiest pitches in college basketball, whether John Calipari is the head coach or not. I mean, it is one of the most prestigious programs in the country. So, you know, there yeah, the, you talk about the, the fan base, the crowd, uh, the tradition, uh, you know, the pro production, even before Calipari got there, Kentucky would produce a lot of pros. So, yeah, uh, but as far as the effect on Michigan, I probably pretty much agree with you. I mean, yeah, you're not going to see Michigan reeling in a bunch of five stars all of a sudden. But, yeah, I do think that there will be some. And, and this is why this staff is so – they're so good. I'm, they're going to find the right recruitments to pick out of that litter as far as where they could capitalize on, I think. So, you know, they know. I mean, they do legwork just like the football staff does as far as character, uh, you know, who – you know – like in football, I know you know there are guys that Michigan won't even offer because it's it's not worth it, you know, it's literally. Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it is a situation. Michigan basketball, they can pick out, they can pick and choose a little bit. They can attack some recruitments maybe that they wouldn't have in the past. And you know, I mean, it's hard not to say that this isn't a big net positive for Michigan because Michigan is under Beeline is the exact opposite of what you know of all these schools that are getting busted i mean he's the kind of figurehead as far as a well-run a well-run clean basketball program you know so maybe maybe a few more kids will flock to them or we'll see that and and see not only are they doing it the right way but i mean man he's produced as many pros in the last seven or eight years as most programs have at yeah. least outside of the Dukes and Kentuckys. So, um, you know, I have to assume that they have a plan to try to capitalize as they should. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> the thing is, I feel like other teams are going to capitalize more because Beeline's still too, too nice and too, like he doesn't want to like be unethical in how he capitalizes on other teams. You know, you know how it goes. Anyway, speaking of recruiting, uh, Michigan had one of its two big, I mean, they're really, more so the latter, but they're really counting on the Michigan State and Ohio State games uh, as their recruiting visit weekends. You know, have a better atmosphere, have have a you know maybe more significant game, some national exposure. Uh, Steve, you've been covering it for a few days. What what should the key takeaways be from this recruiting weekend? Um, I you know. It always turns into a nice little, not really a debate, more people whining on the board than anything about like what the what it effect, what effect the loss has on recruiting. The one negative effect, I guess, uh, in a loss like this is I think take a guy like well, I took I already I put in a Chris. I don't even think I posted on the board actually because Michigan had offered uh, Jaron Mangum at Cass Tech. I put in a crystal ball for Michigan State uh, after the game. Not just because of his reactions. I think I think Alan Trieu at Scout got a good reaction from him. It sounded like he was basically rooting for Michigan State uh, while visiting Michigan. As I think it with some of these guys that maybe State got in with first, who happened to be at the game, uh, or guys that State has been maybe somewhat trending for. I think the Belleville kids would pr- maybe fit into this category. It may. I think in a lot of ways it may have emboldened those stances uh you know so if if michigan were to get serious with jaron mangum i think the battle for him would be real wherein before if michigan had gone in and won this game i think michigan probably maybe could have run in and uh won that recruitment so in that regard yeah i mean there's a little bit i mean man i mean again you're michigan state you've now won eight of ten uh you know in-state kids still have to give them a a great look, you know, Michigan 20 wins the last two seasons, obviously like things are still, you know, especially if you're a defensive recruit, uh, things are on the huge upswing there still. There's a lot to be a, like about what Michigan's doing. There's no doubt about that, but uh, you know, there's Michigan state still. So, you know, I think, yeah, negative effects in that regard, the, in the grand scheme of things, again, it's, it really, it, you know, it ends, it just depends on how the season finishes out long ways to go. Uh, especially with the 18s, you know, I don't know, you know, Michigan made Brian Addison's top five today. USC didn't uh, still think if USC decides that they want Brian Addison, that they will be a factor there. I 
can't think of the last time a kid from Sarah that USC wanted didn't go there. I uh, was actually trying to think of that when I was writing the article. Dory Jackson, John Houston, Deontay Burnett, Rasheem Green. I mean, you go down the list, they get everybody they want from that school. So USC not being in his top five, I think it was more about USC than it was about him. It wouldn't even surprise me if he put out a top five to get USC's attention. I mean, that's just how much of a stranglehold they have at that school. So uh, I know Isaiah, I don't know if Isaiah ever did end up reporting it or not, but, you know, I the Amon Ross St. Brown stuff, I mean, Michigan has no shot there pretty much, which is what we expected going into the visit. Julius Irvin, we'll see there. Uh, again, Washington, Notre Dame seem to be the common theme in that in that recruitment. So, you know, we basically set the table for it to be a relatively underwhelming weekend recruiting-wise. Uh, I think that's pretty much what came true. Uh, a couple 19 kids, I guess. Uh, Ryland Goatee out of, out of Georgia, I think, had a really good visit. I think Michigan's right in that one, maybe more than fans realize. Uh, I think uh, Harry Miller out of Buford, uh, Christian Turner's teammate, I think Michigan and, and Clemson, I think those are probably his top two at this point. So, uh, you know, they did they did a good job with the 19s, who I know this kind of caught a funny reaction on the board when I said that these recruits are more rational about a loss than fans are, which is 1,000% <laughs> the case, uh, not even close. Well, they all lose games too. I mean, they know. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why I said one team didn't lose a game last year. Not every kid in the country is committing to Clemson. Um, so I actually think some, it depends. Again, this is going to, I know people can take this how they want. I actually think sometimes it's, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to go as far as say as a positive, but I think a school can help themselves like in promoting their culture and in promoting how the program works by the way they do react to a loss. And Godey specifically made mention that he was really impressed with how Michigan, because he stayed, he was there Sunday as well and met with the coaches and with the players on Sunday and mentioned that, you know, the way that they reacted to the loss, the way that they're uh, the players and the coaches uh, approached it after a, a, you know, a tough loss like that one said that he was really impressed by that. So it makes sense. It's like, you you yeah. assume that they're going to suck, and then if they don't, you just exceed expectations. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So again, yeah, I mean, a win at the big house under the lights obviously would have been better for their for their fortunes probably in some recruitments, but big picture wise, you know, it's about what it would have been with most of these guys. Like I said, I mean, you know, don't ask me about the twenty twenties. They don't graduate for like three years, so I don't know what's you know. There's a a five marathons left to run with some of those recruitments like Justin Rogers and, and those guys. So, um, but overall, yeah, the 18s that they have hosted officially weren't guys that I ever really thought Michigan had a great shot with. I, I Maybe they have more of a shot with Addison than I thought they did. Um, but St. Brown, Irvin, I just, you know, especially St. Brown, like I said, could not have stressed that enough that I never thought Michigan was going to be a factor there. Um, and then with the 19s, you know, the guys that they really like, they did what I thought they did pretty well. So, which is pretty much what we expected going in. So, overall, good, good, I don't know, a, a six out of 10, I guess. I don't know. Okay. It, wasn't an, it wasn't a bad recruiting weekend, but it wasn't, obviously, wasn't a great one either. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, we'll keep our tabs on all things Michigan recruiting at michigan.247sports.com. Got a few minutes left here. We're going to jump into some Indiana preview coverage. Uh, We're going to go around and we'll save score prediction for the end, but I want to hear quickly general impression, one bold prediction, and one guy you're looking at as as a potential MVP. Isaiah, we forgot about you again, but uh, uh, we'll let you. Yeah. (laughs) You can go ahead and go first this time. Oh, there you go. See? See? We're on our way. Uh, But yeah, one. One quick general thought, uh, one bold prediction, one MVP. General thought, uh, I think, you know, Indiana's obviously no slouch defensively, but they, you know, they want to try to dictate what you do offensively. 
uh, I should say, dictate what you do defensively by their offense. No different than they've been. So thought is that they just need to uh, – Michigan needs to continue doing what they, they've been doing defensively. It's obviously going to be a challenge going up against a tempo – uh, offense, but I think Michigan stays up to that challenge. Obviously, there's not many doubts in this Michigan defense. Offensively, I think they'll be better, even though Indiana's got a really good defense. I I, I just think that this is going to... You're going to see something a little bit closer to the first few weeks. I don't know that that'll necessarily be reassuring, but uh, it should be enough for Michigan. Bold prediction, I'll say they hold Indiana to under 150 yards passing, 100 yards rushing. Uh, somewhere under there. Uh, I know that doesn't sound terribly bold, but that's... Because that's Indiana's happened almost every team. week. <laughs> but, it, but at the same time, you know, Indiana's got an offense that can do both, and I think Michigan mm-hmm. will hold them to under both. And uh, game ball, I'm just going to ride the hot hand and go with Maurice Hurst. I think Dang, he, he's, he's really coming into his own. Yeah. Uh, it's what you, I didn't think about the game ball part, so I just kind of... I'm kind of eking it out here, so sorry for stealing. Oh yeah, you're fine. I'll. I mean, I think we'll be able to find another one. Yeah, I I liked Mohurst just because they have really their their interior linemen are uh, pretty new and they're not too proven. All right, Steve. And they've been giving up some sacks and and, uh, tackles for loss. They're they're somewhere in the middle of the pack there. Yeah, well, they're they're toward the bottom. They're they're kind of closer to Michigan, not quite there, but they're they're in the bottom half. Steve, uh, general thought, bold prediction, MVP. Are we not doing the score prediction? We're going to do it at the end. We're going to breeze through a bunch of over-unders, and then, and then we'll get it at the end. Sorry. Um, my overview, honestly, is that I don't know what the hell is going to happen on Saturday. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what Michigan's going to do offensively, especially, obviously. I mean, you know, I, I, what, what are they going to change over, you know, so, or what's magically going to change uh, from Saturday? Obviously, the the book is out a little bit. I think some teams, I think teams will try to implement Michigan state's game plan of forcing five turnovers. I'm just kidding. It's not really a game plan, but, um, yeah, you know, know, enforce that monsoon, make sure that it rains really hard in the second half. (laughs) Right. Right. So that's my overview. Honestly, I don't know what to think. I mean, I, at least one of us, maybe it was you Zach that said Indiana was the, was the, uh, trap game this year or was that Isaiah? I think uh, I think I said it wasn't in, me. I said Indiana. I said, yeah. Okay. Because I, I said, said Maryland before they lost all their quarterbacks. <laughs> right. Oh, I I said no. Uh, someone said Minnesota too. I don't. Right. I don't know. One of us said Indiana though. Either way. So it's an interesting matchup. And again, I just it's on the road too. You know, they haven't really beaten a. I don't know if Indiana qualifies as a very a great opponent. You know, on the road, I don't maybe think they do. But um, you know, they've struggled on the road. Uh, outside of the one half against Purdue. So, you know, I don't, I just, my overviews, I don't really know what to think. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not going to like BS people and try to make up something. I really don't know what to expect as far as this game goes. Uh, game ball. Um, I'll say Lavert Hill. He's been playing so well lately. He's got uh, a matchup. Goodness. Yeah. Well, I think he's up to the task though. Um, I mean, we'll find out if he is. This will be his maybe his biggest test of the year. Uh, I don't know if he'll play a better receiver than Cobb. So, uh, and obviously, we know Indiana loves to throw the ball. So, um, I think Hill's going to have a big game. Uh, you know, maybe one of the safeties too, with a little bit of help, I assume. Uh, mm-hmm. But Hill has been playing some lights out football the last three weeks. I mean, his progression has been, I mean, beyond steady. It's been quick. Uh, so. I'm going to pick Lavert Hill, and then uh, what was the last? Bold prediction. Oh, boy. Um, I can run I through think, mine and come back. No, I think Michigan only commits – they only commit one turnover, okay. which is bold right now. They only commit one turnover on Saturday. Yeah, they're averaging more than two a game. Indiana yeah. was really good at forcing turnovers last year. They haven't done it as much this year. Uh, my general impression, I think you want to talk incomplete offenses or offenses in progress. Indiana might be more in that category than Michigan is, actually. I think they have like a really high-potential guy in Simi Cobbs, but they just switched quarterbacks 
Like they just decided three games in that they didn't like Richard Lego anymore. After he was second in the Big Ten last season in passing yards and second in yards per attempt and real big play threat. They decided they didn't like him anymore. Not, not he was throwing a lot of picks and you know incompletions, but not like they just hated him or something. But uh, so now they're on Peyton Ramsey, a true freshman. Uh, their running game. They used to have you know Tevin Coleman's and Jordan Howard's and. I don't know who was around last season, but they've they've they actually developed kind of a nice little running back to the NFL pipeline. Uh, now they've got Morgan Ellison, a true freshman. He put up big numbers against Charleston Southern and Georgia State, but did not really do much against you know Penn State or Ohio State. Uh, was okay against Virginia. So, yeah, my general impression, I think I think Michigan really the defense could really feed in this game if. As long as they're not put into, you know, terrible short field situations or, or too many things like that, I think they'll actually be uh, in in quite good shape. Um, you know, and Indiana's defense is is solid. You know, they're not going to be terrible, but they're they're worse than they're a step down from Michigan State. You know, they 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 blitz heavy. You know, T. Gray Scales is a beast. Rashard Font is good on the outside, but they're not. They're not like you know their defensive line isn't strong enough. They're just they're just not a team that's gonna shut. I mean they gave up forty five points to Penn State, forty nine to Ohio State. I have to imagine Michigan's gonna be <laughs> over the twenty point mark, you know, in, in that kind of context, especially if Indiana's offense just is getting nothing. Which I'm starting to think, you know, Steve Lavert Hill's actually an interesting pick. I said the, uh, earlier today. You know, this could be his Jordan Lewis, Aaron Burbridge game, you know, where they just kept going at him and Lewis had like seven pass deflections or something. You know, this could be that kind of game for him where they just keep trying and he's rising to the occasion. We'll see. He could get burnt too, but he's looked he's looked quite good so far. Uh my my MVP, since I can't get Mo Hurst, I will say this is the game. Uh no. I'll say Chase Winovich, I know it's another one that's kind of like an easy, I think we're all just starting to pick <laughs> defensive players and guys who are on the line. Um, I, I think I think he'll have a really good shot. I mean, Peyton Ramsey can run a little bit, so maybe I should be saying Devin Bush. He's he, he's a little bit more like Lewerke, but I, I just think Winovich, second time in a month that he'll be going to Indiana and coming away with a whole bunch of sacks. Uh, bold prediction, Michigan, well, I might write it down differently, but Michigan holds Indiana to, well, uh, I guess Isaiah did the yardage. I was going to say 50 yards rushing. I'll say Michigan forces three turnovers in this game or more. All right, now we got some over-unders. We're going to breeze through them really quick. Isaiah, you're up first. 54.5 completion percentage for John O'Corn. Over or under? Over. Okay. Uh, Steve, 10.5 is the highest number of carries by whoever gets the most carries for Michigan's running back. So do they divide it or do they give one guy more than 11 carries? Over. Okay. I got 2.5 sack given up by the offensive line. That is, uh, give me that over every day of the week until they show otherwise. Uh, Isaiah, eight and a half combined receptions from Sean McCune and Grant Perry. Over. Okay. Steve, 175 and a half combined rushing yards by Higdon, Isaac, and Evans. Uh, man, that's going to make me look stupid, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say over, oh, I guess. Okay, okay. I know, yeah. 35 and a half yards is longest pass completed by a Michigan quarterback, so it that's they they only had one at 36 last week. I'm going to say over. I think they I think Indiana's going to be a little less I think they're more more susceptible to giving up the big play. Isaiah two and a half sacks by Winovich, Gary and Hurst combined. That seems like absolute a, over. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh Jeez. Steve, one and a half interceptions by Michigan's defense. Uh Ramsey has two picks in about a start and a half this season. Under. Okay. Nine and a half tackles for loss by the defense. I'm gonna say over. I think is that is that a lot? No, I'll say over. Isaiah, fifty-five and a half completion percentage by Indiana's quarterback. Under. Okay. 
probably a good one statistically speaking. Uh, Steve, 10.5 yards for longest punt return by Michigan. Over. Okay. And then last one, one and a half field goals made by Quinn Nordeen. I will say over. That leads me into my score prediction. I think Michigan Michigan still shows struggles, but I think that they're just it's they're just gonna dominate on defense so much that it's gonna be hard for well, not so much, but they're gonna dominate in a way that makes it easier for them to get scores. I think with better weather, they'll get more points. Uh, I'm gonna say Michigan twenty seven, Indiana thirteen. Isaiah, what's your score prediction? I hate you, Zach, so much. Oh, did I say the same thing you did? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, we're going to go Michigan 28, Indiana 10 then, just to <laughs> get something different. Okay, all right. Steve, what do you think? Can you imagine if Michigan loses this game? Uh, 20, Our lives get a lot uh, harder. Michigan wins. I just can't see them losing this game. The board uh, would catch on fire. Twenty Michigan twenty three Indiana thirteen. Okay, all right. So we all we're all thinking What's thirteen fourteen. Uh, I don't know. It's, uh, six and a half. So a touchdown. So we all took the over on that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just it just doesn't. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Isaiah and I will be down there. That's gonna do it for the Wolverine twenty four seven podcast. Uh, if you liked, you know, if you liked what you heard, feel free to subscribe, rate us. That actually helps us get, you know, spread our voice to more people. Uh, tell your friends, share it, pass it along. Let us know if you like, you know, our general content. Be sure to read it all at michigan.247sports.com. We have tons of stuff. I just posted, I think this morning, three or four Indiana preview stories. So no shortage of content uh, to read up more. But for Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull on the line, I am Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast, and we'll see you next time.